0: Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through seminars, teleseminars, and one-on-one consults. I am thrilled to have with me, I'm very excited to have with me as my guest today, Liz Benjamin. Liz is currently the supervising producer on the Showtime series, The United States of Terra, And let me tell you about Liz's incredible background. Um, Liz went to the University of North Carolina School of the Arts with a degree in modern dance. From modern dance, she went on to musical theater and uh, learned from some of the best choreographers in the business. Then she received her MFA in acting from the National Theater Conservatory in Denver, Colorado. Uh, she went on to New York where she did some off-off-Broadway shows and worked with a company called Naked Angels Theaters where she uh, was part of a group called Tuesdays at Nine, uh, which sounds like it was a pivotal move in your career. Tuesdays at 9 was a place where company members, including such notable playwrights as Kenny Lonergan, Warren Light, Robbie Bates, and Teresa Rebeck gathered each week to hear their new work, hot off the press in front of a live audience. And this is what inspired Liz to start writing plays. Um, Liz has written a number of plays, and her one of her most well-known ones, uh, didactic encounter um, she turned into a short and entered it in a number of film festivals where it did very well and it went on to win the best screenplay for a short film at the Brooklyn Film Festival. After that Liz has also won the Golden Ogle Award from the American Society of Science Fiction for her radio play The Field which co starred Glenn Kessler from FX's Damages. Liz's first TV writing gig was in New York working on the NBC series Law and Order Criminal Intent. She spent two seasons on Criminal Intent where her episode Want received an Edgar Allan Poe Award. After Criminal Intent, Liz moved to L.A. to work on season one of the Fox series Bones. She stayed on Bones for four seasons where she wrote and produced nine episodes. After Bones, Liz went on to work on the Starz series Crash, and after Crash, she is now a supervising producer on the United States of Terra. Uh, Liz also teaches playwriting at a number of institutions and uh, has been a producer for the Nantucket Film Festival. Wow, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was
1: that is for you to stop.
0: amazing! I'm like, you know, it's so, so wild for me because again, I remember sitting with you at CBS Paramount and just falling in love with your voice from your play. That just so, so I connected with on every level, and and was so completely blown away by the complexity and the character and it was just fantastic so when I received your bio and I was like oh my god (laughs) you go girl this is great congrats to you congrats to you so why don't we start at the beginning I'm I love your background and I always love for writers to they can go from like modern dance to theater to acting to writing to playwriting to and kind of evolve in and it seems like that's exactly what you did because when you were when you were doing the dancing did you think writing was part of your destiny?
1: My my mother had been a journalism major Mm -hmm. and she always I wrote short stories and poetry as a kid and always kept a journal and she recognized that I had Uh, uh, an affinity for writing and I always thought no that's her thing and I'm a dancer and so I rejected 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 writing because I wanted to move I was really you know just passionate about dancing and that's I you know that was what I lived for so you know that was always there right and it wasn't until I got injured years later and then went, it wasn't ready to quit performing, that I went back to school for acting. Then I got involved in, I went back to New York, and I did some plays. And I was never really comfortable acting. I f- it just wasn't the same for me as dancing. It didn't use the same parts of my brain. It just, I never felt that kind of release. It was rare. Oh, that's
0: interesting. Yeah. So, um, I can see what you're saying. You know, it's fascinating because when I watch that um, Fox dance show, the story that they tell with dance. <laughs> reminds me
1: of writing stories. It's the same. For me, it's the same area of the brain that opened up. Yeah. Those neural pathways were already created. So when, you know, I was acting and I had two really good friends who had both been actors who had transitioned into directing and writing and Mm -hmm. they were really successful. And one was Peter Hedges and one was Joe Mantello. And both of them separately took me out for coffee when I graduated from acting school. And said, um, "Don't just act, because you will not work all the time and diversify. Write, direct, teach, do something else to, to make your well, great to, advice. It to was hear amazing. That at the beginning. And yeah. Joe was a member of this theater company, Naked Angels, and he sent me down there to to sort of participate in this Tuesdays at nine reading series where actors and writers work out every week for uh, new work. And I went, and they were starting a writing class, and I thought." I wanted to do that. Right. And once I started writing, I didn't want to act anymore. Interesting. I just felt very strongly that I had found that Where place. you were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the first time I sat back and heard my words read by actors and I sat on the other side of the table, I really felt like I didn't need to perform anymore. Mm. You know, when I first went to the Cold Reading series, I was by myself, and I sat in this audience, and there were some famous people there and just regular people, and there was, it, was, it was an amazing experience because writers would bring in 10 pages of new work, whether it was a novel, a play, a screenplay, a musical, a song. They would bring it in, and the work would be passed out to actors cold, so they would not see it beforehand, and then the actors would get up, and they would read it. And I was thinking, don't call on me because (laughs) I'm not. I just was terrified that they would, you know, give me something to to act, and I didn't want to do that. But the writing, it was amazing. The spontaneity, and also how you could just hear when something for me, just instinctually, I could hear when rhythms were off or something wasn't working. And um, when I started taking the writing class, it was where then the next phase would be to bring in your work to Tuesdays at 9 and hear it in front of a live audience before you put together a performance of it. So it was a developmental, you know, workshop. Take me into that
0: first moment, like when you had a live audience and your your words were being spoken. What, what oh was that God. feeling like?
1: It was, I mean, you know, I, I don't even know if I can put it into words. It was transcendent because the audience was with it in that moment there was just this complete synergy from the stage the words hitting their ears to the audience getting it and you realize oh my god they're getting something from this and and there was kind of a transmission an energy that was happening that it just happens in live performance and it felt as good to me as performing
0: i know and i now once you started writing for plays did it enter your mind then about television or was that such a far off thing? Like I see going from dance into playwriting and then I would have to imagine you would immerse yourself, which it seems like you did for several plays before you made the jump into TV writing. But was TV writing at the back of your mind,
1: I was a pretty um, I was like a pretty hardcore um, Not for profit artist in New York. I mean, I had done years oh, of modern dance, and yeah. <laughs> so for me, money wasn't factoring into to that. I had like three jobs, waiting tables, and working in an office, and doing all this just to to work on my craft. And that's because um, Warren Light, who's a member of Naked Angels, saw one of my first plays, and said he pulled me aside at this bar, you know, because we'd go out afterwards and talk about. The work and stuff, and he said, "You know, write plays for as long as is financially possible." And I didn't really understand completely what he meant at the time until I got a few years into it and realized I that there was this thing television and you could make money. Right. <laughs> and I thought it looked really appealing to me when I, I was can write and, <laughs> and I can make money. What a concept! <laughs> and I was I had had a play done at um, Dance Theater Workshop. And I think it was the play you read, The End of Nothing. And a producer, um, the assistant to a producer who was working at um, MTV came, and she was like, I want you to come in and pitch TV ideas. And I was just like, I had no idea what she was talking about. And I'd had, um, by that point, a short film that I had um, done based on the play that I'd written had been done. So they were really interested in me coming up with an idea, and I was – Um, really green, but I kept pitching. And um, I come in with these sheets of paper, like everything all mapped out, the characters and stuff. And she wasn't interested in anything. And then one day I was like, oh, and there was this thing. I was watching TV, and I thought maybe, what if the show – and I was just spitballing completely. And she was like, that. I want that. And they actually made the pilot of that show. Which Which was – It was – it ended up being called 1159, and it was conceived as – an interstitial show that would take place in between music videos, kind of like the Taster's Choice commercials, where you would just pick up this group of kids that were um, roving from different parties. And they, it, it was just this idea that I had that you could just follow a story in like two minute bites. Right, And they did it. But then when um, they bought it, and I wrote it, and then they had brought in a much fancier writer to rewrite it <laughs> they turned it into a half hour Wow! and it didn't you know they never made it but obviously still, but that's still huge it was huge and that was sort of really very early and what did me. you think of the
0: pitching experience because terrifying. that's very early on <laughs> was- right if you think about pitching from like when you first started to now what what has the evolution what have you learned about pitching what what advice would you give to writers about pitching
1: oh god if you could if i could get back to that completely innocent place of being comp- so passionate and just excited by the story and the characters and just trying to transmit that energy passion passion yeah, yeah because overthinking Coming in with all the sheets of paper and everything memorized and the rehearsed pitch, uh, I just can't imagine how you could. I mean, I, I think you you can do that, but I think that at that pitch
0: that sold. You said you were spitballing. I was completely. So I love that you were passionate with your spitballing. But and I hear
1: I hear about writers passionate. who just yeah. are amazing at pitching and they're so relaxed, yeah. and loose and just say, oh wait a minute, I forgot this, and they just come back with, you know, an idea and. Um, you know I, I think that getting back to that place of just not really thinking I too think much the about innocence though the no, innocence. it's
0: fascinating that you say that because I think certainly in people's love lives you always think oh what if, what if I could erase any heartbreak, any ne- negative experience and go back to the innocence and it's very interesting to hear that in your career life because we carry scars with us when things happen and so it is I think um for writers passion is is really the key to everything so i I think whatever you can do to really tune out everything else and stay connected mm-hmm. with why you love story and be able to verbalize that in the room is is certainly a huge plus with like say with the law and order criminal intent what what was the experience like going from a playwright to that and Tell me about that experience. How did that all come to be?
1: Well, I would say like you know, Warren Light was pivotal in that that happening. I um, was realizing that one hour drama was a place that a playwright could really exist, and I was in New York, and there weren't a lot of opportunities to get involved in that. Plus, I didn't know if I was going to like it, so I was asking around to everyone i knew i had friends who were on sex in the city and um you know different people if they knew anyone who needed a writer's assistant because i thought well i'll just you know be a fly on the wall and see if i like it and um a friend of mine who um paula devic who was on party of five had just yeah. gotten a series called 100 center street that was I remember that yeah, right an a and e series right and she said Let me ask one of the executive producers. He's such a nice guy. I'll see if he needs an assistant. And she told me that he didn't, but that he had an assistant, but that he'd have coffee with me. And we had a really great coffee. And he said, "You know, I don't, I can't offer you anything. If you want to assist my assistant, (laughs) I'll teach you everything I know about TV." He was really just a total mensch, and his name was David Black, and he was a Law and Order writer. He had been on Hill Street Blues and. He was an amazing guy, and and he was true to his word. I went right. to his apartment like three days a week and did his mailing list for his assistant and did FedEx's, and he did sort of teach me what he knew about television writing. And he would um, put all his conference calls on speakerphone, and you That's know I'd great. listen into wow. note sessions. He'd sh- he'd show me notes that he was doing on 100 Center Street. He let me sit in on a production meeting with Sidney Lumet um he just included me in the process. And then he got a pilot deal with A&E for a series called Cop Shop. And he was hiring all really fancy New York writers. And I was listening to him all day long on the phone, just fielding calls from agents and reading scripts and trying to put together the staff that, that he was going to have for that. And um, by that point, he had read a couple of my plays and really enjoyed them. And so... He called me over to his desk one day and he said he had the final list and I was number eight. Ah, and I, I love that. I was so like I was I was like, Oh my god, I'm not even in the writer's guild. And he said, You are now. And he was that guy that just really was a great first moment. It was an amazing experience. I love that. That's and so writing story. that script, you know, it was a it was an of one set show, so it all took place in one set, and that was the the challenge of writing those those episodes. but he basically held my hand through the whole process and taught me how to do research the way he did it um, you know just gave me an, an a wonderful opportunity and a really great foundation so based on that, um I had flown out i was hip pocketed at William Morris and realized I needed a real change in my um, representation because my agent was pregnant with twins so I flew out to LA and took a bunch of meetings with agents and while I was out here Warren Light who had been one of the writers on Cop Shop called and said he was on Law and Order and that they needed a staff writer and um, so basically he said you know can you FedEx your samples back to New York and um, let the showrunner read them so I did I sent a play and the script from Cop Shop and Renee Balsay called me and wanted a meeting. That's fantastic. So I flew back, met with him, and he basically told me I was hired in the room, which... Ah, uh, how incredibly exciting to have your first job on such a big show.
0: Um, take me into the writing of your very first episode. What what was that like?
1: Um, Well, I should preface it by saying that the week that I started I found out was I was pregnant and actually it was the day after my birthday and I had wow, yeah and I found out I was two months pregnant and I was starting um this is good for women to hear (laughs) this
0: is very good I was terrified
1: I Uh, how long did you keep it a secret till I was five months pregnant and it really there was I couldn't keep it a secret. I was, I'd put on a lot of weight. I ended up putting on like 61 pounds with my pregnancy. And you can just say it was
0: the writer's room weight? <laughs> no, because <laughs> oh, there was no candy. <laughs>
1: the thing about Law and Order and the way the show works is there's no writer's room. It's, oh, um, interesting. So, so it was, you're each on your own. You're on your own and you break story with the showrunner one-on-one. Right. Right. So it was me and Renee Valce, and um, he had sort of an idea. He kind of, um, I think, felt Fed me – he knew it was my first episode. So he fed me a cool idea, and it was kind of a, a young Bonnie and Clyde type of thing. Oh, great. And, um, but he, sometimes, he goes back and forth from L.A. to New York, or he did at the time, and he had to go back to L.A. So I had to follow him out there, and I was pregnant and had to pee all the time. Oh, right. And there we were in a room, and he had no idea – And it was just us for hours and hours staring at each other. And if I didn't talk, the room died. Right. So I was a new writer who, who, you know, was just... Had this big secret. Had this huge secret. (laughs) Had to constantly keep throwing out ideas to keep him interested. And, you know, he would shoot down so many of them and then I had to find the courage to like come back with another one oh, this is good for and um, writers it was know. really yeah, great. great training and every time he looked away I'd unbutton my pants <laughs> because I was like pregnant and um, it was it was a really great experience because also because I was so new and he had said some hard and fast rules we had one writers meeting with the entire staff he brought everyone to LA and we had a big group meeting um, and he, you know, laid out the groundwork for the season, and we met with Park Dietz, who's a forensic psychiatrist who was, a, you know, an expert for the show, to kind of come up with a lot of ideas. And, and you know, one thing Renee said was, he told me, never write a night driving scene. Interesting. and um I'm trying to remember what the other one—I mean— it Basically and I turned my script, yeah. Like no really difficult locations. Right. And um I turned my script in and I had a night driving scene <laughs> and I had Times Square. And right. he was like <laughs> <laughs> First of all, um, we'd never they never had went. shot in Times yeah. Square, but he liked the idea of oh, it so much that they made it work. They made right? the night driving work yeah. and they made Times Square work and It was such a thrill because I lived in Times Square. My husband and I um, walked up, and I got to watch my first episode ever being filmed in Times Square, right by the TKTS booth. And there's, you know, it was a thrill. Really
0: exciting. And when you finally did tell him, did he admit that he knew?
1: Well, (laughs) he was. It was funny because he would. um, He there was a little writers' room across from his office. And when and you kind of would go in and when you were breaking story and just wait for him to call you in. Mm-hmm. And um one day I just realized that I had to tell him and I knocked on his door very gingerly and he was in the middle of doing something and he looked up from his desk and he said, What is it? And I said, Um, Renee, I just can we just have a, a talk? I need to tell you something and I was terrified and I said, um he said, What is it? And I said, um, I'm pregnant, and he looked at me, and he just gave me this look like, yeah... (laughs) like like it's so obvious (laughs) and he said yeah so and um he said when do you do and I I told him and he immediately jumped up and like went to this his wall was just a painted dry erase board with like schedules and stories being broken and stuff and he went over to the schedule for the season and when he found out my due date he just said I'm going to move this episode I mean he just redid the schedule completely put me at ease and
0: that's fantastic he was amazing I ah, love that. Love to hear that story. So it's a good message for all you female writers out there that you can juggle it all and make it happen. <laughs> Liz is a prime, prime example of that. How old is your son now? Six. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Now, going from Law & Order Criminal Intent, so were you, did that go down, or how did you go from that to Bone?
1: I was on Law & Order Criminal Intent for two seasons, okay. and then that just was enough, like, yeah. we left on, you, you it was mutual, I learned, mutual it
0: was, and you went on. okay, great. Yeah, I
1: left on really good terms, great. and in fact, um, during the WGA strike, <laughs> marched alongside Renee, oh, great. and, um, but then I came out to do Staffing Season that year, and that was the year that I met you, uh-huh. I think it might have been 2005,
0: yeah. Yes, I yeah. was at, at CBS Paramount 2004 to 2007, so yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: so I came out, and I did it, the The whole like dog and pony show because I had great agents. You were with Endeavor then. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I did. I met everybody. And then I was in LA when my agent said that they wanted me to meet Hart Hansen for Bones, but he was in New York at the upfronts. And I said, no problem because I'm from New York. And um, so I flew back. And met him at a coffee shop, which was like two blocks from my house. And, you know, we met, we had this amazing meeting. He said, I've got to go to the airport. I don't have time. You know, it's going to be a really quick meeting. And he came, you know, it was a rainstorm in New York. And an hour later, or an hour, you know, over an hour later, he was like, I can't believe I'm still sitting here. I have to go to the airport. We just could, it was just, you know, really great oh, chemistry. So I hear wonderful things about him as yeah. far
0: as yeah writing and
1: his process. He's yeah. a incredible writer, facile writer, and so inspiring. And I, um, you know, didn't hear anything because, of course, I just didn't. That's the way it works, right? And then I went back to L.A. for a meeting on Ghost Whisperer, and that was the first season of Ghost Whisperer. And as I was driving to that meeting. I got a call from Endeavor, and they said, three agents on the phone, it's always a good sign. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, we have an offer on Bones. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was just amazing. So I was there from the very beginning. Do you know what I love about all that?
0: Like, when you hear the tradition – I love when I see agencies really partake in making that (laughs) moment. Like this grand, unforgettable moment. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, they were psyched.
1: Uh, It was such a great pilot. I remember reading it and thinking um, and watching it and thinking, it's so simple. It was so wonderful and simple and clean and clear. The series was so clear and it was refreshing and It was really fun, the banter. And it wasn't complicated. And And you got to get some of your character stuff out with the banter. It's a
0: procedural that had a strong element of character.
1: And Hart always knew what the show was for him, Mm -hmm. character-wise. He always knew that it was a character show. Right. And—
0: I love that, though. I think that's what—that really adds so much flavor to it. Oh, he, yeah. yeah. He
1: had that. That was his vision, I think, from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. He couldn't do that. It was a procedural. And so it was it just took seasons. Each season, it got closer and closer to where it is now, where it's just pure character and comedy. And um, it's a lot of, you That's know, great. yeah, it was still the procedural, but it's and a different kind years of
0: years you spent there. That mm-hmm. is. The, and now you and you wrote and produced nine episodes there. So. If you were to think about what you learned over that nine-episode arc, um, like your your first day walking in to producing your own episode to your last episode that you produced at Bones,
1: what, what was that journey like? Well, you know, I'm trying to remember. Was I... What level was I when I got there? Executive story editor. So I wasn't a producer when I first started. But did you each um,
0: get to produce your own episodes or no? Yeah, I'm I mean, totally we went we're to at the
1: upper level. Heart, you know, in terms of producing, heart always same. Um, like Law and Order, Criminal Intent, you went to the production meetings, you answered all the questions because um, you know you had done all the research, mm-hmm. and you were the expert in right. all of the sort of forensic. Um, you know, I would asked Kathy Reichs, uh, you know, this forensic, forensic anthropologist. I would a- call her and ask her questions, so I had the answers to certain things, so I could tell the art department how the body should look, or, or based on my research, what you know,
0: what being concept meetings, yeah, concept meetings all,
1: yeah. and wardrobe, you know, right. that kind of thing. He would include us in that. Um, season one, less so, because it was complete mayhem. I mean, going from you know, Law and Order Criminal Intent, which was such a well-oiled machine by the time I got there, that it the ship was just, just running smoothly and everything was just, you know, unbelievable. new show is
0: chaotic. It was and, total yeah. chaos,
1: especially because I think it was our third episode, um, after it had been through an outline, after it had been written, was completely jettisoned. So you never – I didn't know this, but there's no way you can catch up in that situation. So we were never – Um, never caught up and always in danger of like being completely derailed by just notes taking the show one direction and then somebody coming in and notes you know studio network taking it in a completely opposite direction so if you watch season one you'll see one episode will feel like a completely procedural show the other then you'll see another episode where they would they would have said booth and Brennan are in too many scenes together so the next episode you'll see they're like both doing these disparate things. The next episode, they weren't in enough of the show together, so you'll see them together again. And it was just—I look back on that, and I cannot believe that it it's where it is today. It's going into season six.
0: Well, it's interesting, because I can tell you from a current programming executive viewpoint, like that first— um The moment the series goes from development into current programming is when it gets picked up to series, when the pilot gets picked up to series. And I would say it used to be in television that you got, like eight to ten episodes to prove yourself. So it was kind of like you got all that time to iron out all the kinks that you spoke about. And the kinks, I think, in your first three to five episodes are really learning to unify your studio, your network, and your executive producer's voice. And and I think that on some shows could take two episodes, on other shows can take eight, and in the, the meantime those shows get canceled so I, I I think it's fantastic that in the midst of the chaos, still the show found its core and and was able to succeed and as you say six seasons later, that's fantastic
1: well it was it was a really amazing um, season one staff too, yeah. because Steve Blackman is on private; great. he's running yes. private practice now. Noah yeah. Hawley has, yeah. you know, his second. Oh, they're great. Oh, amazing yeah. writers. And you know, I I felt like coming into that um, from Law and Order. I hadn't really been on a, a a staff where the staff worked together like that, so it was a really great staff to to work with, for. For a show like that because everybody was just pitching in and that's diving great. in and what do you need? And I mean, I was always sending story ideas downstairs or doing research or you know, just trying to keep this show going. And now did you, and I know some shows you
0: don't get to, so did you get to go on the set when mm-hmm. your show was being produced? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. And what was what was the experience of working with actors like? Did you ever go through experience when the actors would change your words or (laughs) not understand your words? I know every writer does. What was how did it feel when that happened? And how do you handle that?
1: You know, Hart. I think I'm trying to think if season one he had a 24 hour rule, but you know he he's pretty strict with changes. I mean, if it's like you know. Something that doesn't really affect the sense of a line, and it's right. something really small. I don't think at this point that he would object to it. But things that uh, that really affect the story, he was pretty careful with. So um, it was that was terrifying. So they didn't have the liberty. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's so, good. They didn't have a large
0: amount of leeway to and, be able um, to, Yeah,
1: I, I remember on my was it my first episode? I think it might have been my first. Episode? Yeah. Um Stephen J. Canal, uh huh, his daughter, Tanya McKiernan, directed it. Yeah. And so he came to set. And I was like, oh my God. Wow. Was, it was amazing. I got to sit That's with so him fantastic.
0: and I like her too. She's great. she's great. Yeah. She was
1: great. And he um was hilarious. I mean, he was amazing. He was just like What he, a great experience. He like couldn't believe actors had Blackberries on set though. He was like I'd get rid of those. He was like, he would take away their sides so that they would have their lines cold. He was really old school. Everything, you know. See, I but you Im- learn from that. Yeah. I mean, it's like you get to be a sponge. So I think
0: that's fantastic. What about, like, you brought up Tanya McTiernan, who's a director. What What is, for a writer who is producing their first episode, what is the... the uh etiquette, as far as between the writer and the director how, how what is that like
1: I really feel like um i I feel like you have to let a director because they're always a guest in mm-hmm. coming into yeah. a series let them feel the you know it's it's their show right for that episode right so i I would take my cue from them and answer questions i wouldn't i you think know that's step an in
0: approach i do. Because I know that's got to be intimidating, as you say, because you guys are all there all the time. So you and I would imagine. Um, and But I think the idea of learning to work well with directors, because in TV the writer has more power. So right. I, I, I do think that is a very important relationship to learn to make work, mm-hmm. You know, to get your episode the best that it can be.
1: And with something as specific as forensic anthropology, mm-hmm. for a director coming in, you know that that's such a specific thing to try to to take on. Yes. For for one episode, so they, you know, directors would come with very specific questions, like, w- could this scene be done at this part of the lab, or, you know, because maybe they had a different vision for how it would visually be tracked, you know, right through the lab, and you could say, well, no, no, I wouldn't do it in that room, but you could do it in this room, or right. like help them kind of find the episode yeah collaborate oh that's great I think that's great
0: All right. well with that we are going to take a break and then we are going to come back and talk to you about Crash and starting on United States of Terra uh, and, and hear what those experiences have been like for you we are out with Liz Benjamin who is supervising producer on United States of Terra
1: you're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Crisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you this story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jencrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision.
0: And we are back with Liz Benjamin. Um... So, wow, i mean, we've covered so much, which I love. No, I think so. It's so great for writers to really get a strong sense of what is it to be on a set. What, you know, what mistakes do you make and you learn from and you get back up and you get better the next time. Um, so, going from Bones to Crash, which was your first cable show, what was what, what was that experience like? What was what is what was the writer's room like on Bones as far as breaking story and then going to crash? What was that transition? <laughs> um, big difference?
1: Well, on Bones, I we were doing six acts right. when I left. Right. And you know, that's like eight pages an act. You're it's so much story to get in yes. to an act. Plus you have um very specific things you have to hit. Story points and clues and a lot of things to juggle. And, um, you know it's plus you're doing all this research, so as you're being very creative in the room and you know just opening yourself up to these wacky possibilities and b- crazy bone clues and all this stuff, you have to go away and make it all work
0: right, so linking you linking link, and get
1: up right, and get your research Trigger, in place right. so that you can back it up and support it mm-hmm. because um that it's very important you know to have that all in place so it's a really um it was very very different than going to crash i went to crash and there were no act breaks and i (laughs) felt like you know you've been riding this bike with these training wheels and all of a sudden the training wheels are off and it's like just (laughs) right right the scene it can be long it can be two pages it can be you know three pages and it's like it was there there was an incredible freedom and the showrunner um such a wonderful is that Glenn? Uh, oh no, no Ira oh. Bear Oh I love Ira, Ira Bear was just Ira like is fantastic such a writer's yes. writer and has such a um such a, a love yes. of, of writing and I agree um, We had it's such a fun room and he's so
0: Ira I have to say and I want to say I want to give a shout out to Ira because I think one from an executive viewpoint one thing I admired about him was he was He is such a talented writer, but he also is a great showrunner. So it's like very few showrunners understand how to manage and run a show as well as write a show. Usually it's one or the other, and they have like their co-person who helps them balance out whatever they're not as strong at. And Ira was definitely one of those showrunners who impressed me. Because he was strong at both, so so that's great that you had a good experience. Oh, uh, he was yeah. great.
1: He he was really good at delegating. Mm-hmm. He was very empowering. He was really funny. Right. I mean, he, we all had nicknames. He called me Liz Lemon, and it was always like Lemon. Um, you know, we just we ate well. It was a really small, very tight staff, and um, we just really just you know made this show. We just had. I would say the writing was. In terms of Bones, there were, like, nine writers. Sometimes we'd sp- split into two rooms. And um, it was, you know, not not a formula because Hart hates formulas. So each episode was, di- you know, slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, at the end of the day, you were solving a crime. You know, you're meeting suspects, finding really creative ways to get that exposition out. And on Crash, you you would be writing scenes that had, you know— Complete emotional arcs, mm-hmm. and had nothing to do with with. Um, they would be off plot. They would, you know, have. So your
0: playwriting probably came in handy there. It really felt yeah like
1: that was closer to what where I had started right. out as a writer, right? And um, all the procedural work has just really supported that. Um,
0: with now, it's fascinating to me because I. I'm so, like, probably the biggest thing I teach writers is story structure. So, and the act-outs do make it easier. Like, even, like, mm-hmm. in, writer, in teaching writers on the verge, sometimes when we have the cable shows, we do have them do act-breaks as a way to just help them learn to tell story and then take the act-outs out when the script goes out. Um, but actually, some cable shows do have act-outs. Um so it, it, what was it like going from the structure of an out, act out in the, the, even though you don't have a set formula, as you say, you still, everything does pretty much reflect back to the dilemma and the goal in a lot of the act-structured storytelling. So what where does that play, like you mentioned, which fascinates me, and Cable, it was more about the character arc.
1: For, for a crush, for uh-huh. sure. Um, I also think, you know, I'm a really instinctual writer, having been a dancer, right. really learning to, to communicate non-verbally right. and to go with my gut. And um, dancing uses, a gr- you know, a lot of imagery. The way that you are able to execute really difficult movement is to get out of your own way right. and to have an image. Right. That helps you get through it. So, you know, you're um, you're a waterfall or something, you know, corny like that. But but it'll help you do a turn better or something. So it's this very kinesthetic um, way of working. So for me, when I'm writing and I get to to a certain place, like in my own work or like with the cable stuff, um, I get to that place where it's my there's something inside my gut where you just feel like just ride the wave to the end of the scene, like. Um, it's almost like surfing, or what I am, would imagine surfing is like. You just kind of ride the, the you know energy what your of a story
0: point is, and it's going into that right. and coming out of that. And yeah.
1: that's why, for me, dancing. And writing were so similar because in dancing, I always had the sort of command central in the back of my head working, knowing that I had to do, you know, the turn down, whatever the movement was. Mm-hmm. But it couldn't be in the forefront of my brain. Right. Like, I couldn't get locked up there. Yeah. It just had to be back there in the knowing place, and then I just had to kind of, like,
0: feel my way through so it. it sounds and, more spontaneous than authentic.
1: And just, yes, to, exactly. To your
0: creative nature. And that's, that's, that's what right.
1: writing is the same yeah. kind of thing. Like, you know... Where you're going, or how, and sometimes you'll surprise yourself, or mm-hmm. the characters will just take off, right? And to see
0: what organically comes out. And I would have to say, in the in the episodes I saw of Crash, it definitely felt like that, which I which was fascinating for me. Just like I would say, True Blood very often goes off on this tangent where you're trying to figure out the structure and it is story just organically evolving and and i think cable definitely has more liberty
1: i think to be yeah. able to do that i mean if you look back at like 6 feet under mm-hmm. or the sopranos i remember mm-hmm. you know i've been, um deconstructing those mm-hmm. shows and trying to find out like well ha- how work. did they write yeah. them and then i realized that you know they were different mm-hmm. every episode was different there mm-hmm. might be five scenes for one character story there might be seven right. um, it took as long as it they they needed to get that story out. Right. So you might feel like you saw a character more in one episode See? than you did in another. Yeah. Um So, yeah. I'm mean, not I th- a
0: slave to the commercial break. <laughs> so that that that's a big thing. No, I think that's a very big thing. All right. Before we discuss your brand new job on United States of Terror, let's um, let's talk about the awards that you have won along the way. First, I want to talk about the. Didactic encounter. As far as what was it like adapting a play into a short? What was that to go? Because you went from all the description more to visual storytelling.
1: Right? Well, that that actually, you know, stayed very true to the play. Right. It's a, a play about two college students on their first date that takes place in this in this girl Kim's dorm room. Right. And um, you know. It, it, it was a it was one of those things that i wrote right. in my my writing class at naked angels put it up at tuesdays at 9 two actors were chosen that night randomly um, they read it cold and they were perfection wow. and um then my husband nathan dean directed mm-hmm. a production of it down down way downtown in new york city at on ludlow street and um, in this tiny little theater called Expanded Arts, I mean, it was as big as um, you know a shoebox. It was right. tiny, tiny. Right. And the the actress who was in the play, Jen Albano, her friend Alex Brodsky came and fell in love with it, and wanted. She was looking for directing projects. She was a film director, and she wanted to make it into a short. So I really lucked out because she just raised the money and
0: she raised the money she raised the money she got um
1: all of these amazing she had all of it was incredible and she had all of these friends who were super creative um like um visual artists who did the titles um she had friends that that were um like you know design people that did the set Mm -hmm. she got um a place where she was teaching photography CW post um, university to, to give the right. the dorm room. Right. Um, a friend of hers, Princess Superstar, composed a song. So wow. it was just like all of this great energy,
0: and um, the labor of love ended up winning best screenplay for the Brooklyn Film Festival. And Jen
1: Albano won best actress that wow, year too. Yeah, that's and the other actor was um, Matt Dawson. And Jen and Matt have since gotten married, and they have a kid. Oh, so I love that. it was really great. It all started great. with your
0: words. That's great. That's great. And then from there, you went on to win the Gold Ogle Award um, for The Field. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: I had written this play called The Field, which is about a couple who have moved from the East Coast out West, and the husband is a university professor, and the wife is pregnant, and she's a novelist. And um, there's a ghost in the farmhouse that they— they. Um, you know, have bought, and there's also these Indians in the front yard digging up bones, and they realize that the house that they've bought is on the site of an Indian massacre. So, um, you know, I, I wrote it and had done a lot of readings but never had had a production, and I was approached by a producer for a radio theater company in New York that was doing their inaugural season, and they wanted to produce it. So... I said sure, and then um, we did a we did a production of that, and um, Glenn Kessler, who's now creator and writer on Damages, you know, was an actor. He'd come out of NYU, so he was in that, and Kira Naughton, an actress. Wow! So, you know, we th- he entered it into a festival, and it won the Gold Ogle Award for this festival in Minnesota, and I was really it came out really well, and you can download it on the internet, and really. Yeah, it was, how it, do
0: you find it on the internet? You
1: just me Google me the play. Google and... you and the fi- the name of the play is the field.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. I'm going.
1: To You'll hear Glenn Kessler. He'll, He'll be like, you. "Why are you telling Googling people to listen your to Gold this?" To Ogle
0: Award. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you know what you touched on that I thought was interesting. How interesting metaphorically that you did a play about Indians and bones. <laughs>
1: And I did two plays about bones. Oh and in the play they talk about the forensic anthropologist. Hey, I, I
0: so believe in that whole spiritual realm and fate and all that. So I I think that I think that's fascinating. Um and then you went on to win an award in television, the Edgar Allan Poe Award. So tell me about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was a complete fluke. Um right. I know that... This was on Law and Order Criminal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the episode was called Want, and Neil Patrick Harris was the star. And and I remember when they suggested him, and I just, you know, really couldn't see him doing this dramatic role. It was a Jeffrey Dahmer role of this sad character who um, just, you know, it started because... Um, we'd had our big law and order meeting, our yearly meeting with Park Dietz, who's the forensic psychiatrist, and we talked about different ideas. And he talked about his interviews with Jeffrey Dahmer, and his because he was the expert witness on that. Fascinating, yeah. And he had it really, you know, really struck a chord in me because he said that Jeffrey Dahmer probably wouldn't. Ha- Jeffrey Dahmer was looking for love. He was looking for a relationship, and he he just really. You know something was Isn't that missing, yeah. and so that is what spurred this whole killing spree. He was trying to create these zombies, people who wouldn't leave and that would stay with him. Well, Renee and I got to talking, and he said, "I really think that that we can turn this into an episode." And um, we, you know, I we worked really hard on on that, using a lot of Dahmer as the jumping off point. And Neil did a great job, and I used I, I had a character his the character the first character that he murders was a ballet dancer who was working as a stripper because i knew a lot of dancers when i was dancing yeah that's great they would take a bus to new jersey and strip and make a lot of money and nobody would know about it right um so renee was fascinated by that so we put that in the story and um then i guess he submitted it to the edgar allen poe awards because he submitted you know for all the awards and then it got nominated I mean, the year that it got nominated, it was like all men. It was wow. really established writers, like, this you know, a writer from Monk, a right. another writer from Law and Order. And I remember going to the ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria with my husband and sitting at our table. And Warren was there, Warren Light and Renee. And I just was thinking, you know, I said to my husband, this is I'm not winning this. There's, like, David Chase over there. Tom Fontana's there. Wow. Like, you know, here oh, I am in this ballroom exciting. with all of these incredible writers. And then about three, I looked at the program, and I thought, when it was nearing the award, I thought, oh, just in case, I should, like, think of what I might say, just because I realized that I had not entertained it Prepared at all. Anything. So I came up with, like, a couple of things that I might say. And then they announced it, and I literally could not move, and Renee... And Warren looked at me like, stand up. And Renee and I went up to the stage. And I stood right in front of Tom Fontana and David Chase. And I'm standing there going, I've been writing in television. This is my second season. Wow. You know, my second season in television. And here I am standing in a ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria with Renee. Um, you know, there's David Chase. There's Tom Fontana. And we shared the story credit. And then I wrote the teleplay. You and Renee, right. And I said, i remember what I said. I said, um... You don't get here without a good, you know, without a great showrunner. And Rene Ball is the best in the business. And I was saying it to those two guys, but I really felt that. I felt like right. I'd been given right. this opportunity. I wouldn't be here if it well, hadn't been for him. I think and,
0: even those big guys, they all have, have um, prospered from strong mentors. Yeah. So everyone can connect with that. I think that's fantastic. It
1: was one of the most exciting moments. Wow. Of my life,
0: yeah. And then we we're go- we we're, uh, you're going from that to how exciting you're going to be starting on United States of Terra next week.
1: Yeah, I'm Monday.
0: Very excited. Very excited to hear your voice on that show. I love that show. I love that show. Um, I think this is a great thing for the listeners to know about. So when you're starting on a brand new show and... You're starting at the supervising producer level, which is, you know, incredible. Uh, I, I applaud every woman out there who are at the upper level of the writing staff because I know it is a challenge. Um, what, uh, what do you do preparation-wise going into a show that has already started that you're starting on staff? It's the third season? We're going into yeah. the
1: third season. Okay. Um, I've been watching mm-hmm. all the episodes. And rewatching them and really trying to absorb the show to, to, first of all, just let myself enjoy it without analyzing it. And then go back and try to analyze um, sort of how scenes are working, what's working, what's, you know, how long scenes are, you know, just the basic. Breaking it down. Breaking yeah. it down. But not trying really hard not to get into my head because mm-hmm. it's really about, for me— hearing it's it's almost like you have to trick yourself into you create you created the show the voices are so deep inside you that that they just you start hearing them and thinking up scenes and and for me that's how I work right so characters and this is a great show it's a great (laughs) she's a lot of characters (laughs) exactly. and you know as a dancer we're taught to to mimic the choreographer to copy how a movement's done and it's the same in writing you really have to learn to to write toward the style of the show that you're on, so I'm really familiarizing myself, reading the scripts, um, watching. And they don't have act breaks either, do they? No, not not no. I mean, right. there's definitely story lines, right? And they 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 are started and you know they arc right. throughout an episode, and then I'm also doing some research on did right which is what Tara has, which they used to call multiple personality disorder. Um, and I'm reading a blog about great. a woman who has DID, and it starts in June 2004 and goes up to present. So it is a lot of of reading personal journaling by somebody who has this. Oh, and that's has a l- an
0: excellent thing to do for research, yeah. though. So, that's great for people to know. With the Internet nowadays, there's endless ways you can – you can know your show and know what your show covers.
1: And I think, you know, when I first started writing, research scared me that it wasn't going to be right or that, you know, there's just a mountain of work to do to plug it into an episode. And what I've learned is that, you know, a little goes a long way. Mm-hmm. You don't need as much as you think you do. Mm-hmm. You need those those bullseye things that really just hit the target of what you're trying to say and so my research has become much more focused, and right. I don't read every single article. This is a great blog to really absorb what it's like to be inside the skin of somebody who has this, which is uh, what writing tarot will yeah. be. Yeah.
0: Well, and I would say, I mean, as we were talking about before the podcast, I, I, what I love about the show is universally it could apply to anybody who has a parent who is in a diff- difficult state of mind and feels, and people around feel isolated as a result, whether it be uh, alcoholism or drug addiction or uh, mental disorder or depression. And I, I love that the show breaks down the walls and and is able to show that they're, you know, they can be a normal family. They can love one another. They can learn to get over things. They can laugh at things. They can deal with problems. They can really um really just pull apart what it is because I think half of our ignorance is not understanding things. And mm-hmm. so one thing I love about television and cable, for that matter, uh, all of television, but cable in particular, is that they can take the deeper life issues and really pull them apart and stop it, isolation in the process.
1: I think, yeah, I think there are a lot of universal themes in the show. And it's funny, my sister um, just started watching it when she found out I got the job. And she finished season one, and she said, um, She's like, Les. It's like the Munsters. <laughs> I was laughing, See, and she totally was like, "It just reminds me of that, like the you know the family on the block that is just so different, different than everybody, everybody else. else, but they're living this life. They've That's made it all work, really true. and it really yeah. I started to think about it, and I thought she's right. You know, yeah. the Munsters lived in their house, and they had all this wacky stuff going on, but they just you know they went. They were a normal family. They got in the car, yeah. and they drove on the family vacation, and yeah. they did the you know
0: yeah. I love that. That's an interesting comparison. Now, in looking over your six years, if you had the opportunity to tell young writers or new writers, I should say, new writers who want to embark on a writing career in television or film or plays, what have you learned the most and what would you tell someone who's interested in pursuing a career in writing?
1: Well, you know, my background is in playwriting. So for writers who are interested in theater, I'd say align yourself with a theater company that try to, you know, to get involved with a theater company that has strong development um, you know, uh, you know, an awareness or not an awareness, a um um Emphasis on development, like Naked Angels does, mm-hmm. um, Ensemble Studio Theater in New York EST. I also had taken a lot of classes there when I was just starting out. And ironically, um, one of my very first playwriting teachers was Will Sheffer, who created Big Love. Wow. And um, he was an incredible I influence. Love big Love. Yeah, Amazing. Love, big love. And Will was an incredible influence on my writing because he was um, from the school uh, where he really encouraged us to write with complete and total abandon and get out of your way and write from your heart and then rewrite from your head. And I would say don't go for, you know, really allow yourself to, to write and make mistakes and just be messy and then go back and look at it. I learned so much from that um, experience because it really helps when you're on a deadline for a TV episode. And it looks, you know, you're looking at 60 pages for a network drama, right? 59, 58 pages. And you you got to just write like the wind. Hart Hansen used to say, write like the wind. And I know what he meant. Catch it. It's like lightning in a bottle. Yeah, I like that. It's the same thing we were talking about in the beginning, you know, about pitching, passion. Just, just. Allow your, the brakes to be taken off, right, with complete and total abandon. Go back and fix it, clean it up, tighten get it, it, tighten it, it correct it. Yeah. all your mistakes. You know, yeah. I, I know writers who but put it out there, but put it out there, yeah. and don't be afraid. And and aligning yourself if you want to work in theater with a, a group like I did for development was just great because I was around so much talent. Kenny Lonergan, who wrote You Can Count on Me, um, you know Frank Pugliese, who wrote Avenue Boys, Warren Light, Teresa Rebeck. These people were just blowing me away. And there I was, a new writer, and my work was read alongside theirs. That's it amazing. was t- completely democratic, this, right. this reading series. And then I had a um, play The End of Nothing produced in an evening of work with Kenny Lonergan and some other people. And Kenny had and Pippin Parker and Frank Pugliese, these guys had this writers group and they asked me to join and You know, I would say if you can get involved in something like that, we met every week. Writer
0: groups, yes. We met every week. We shared our
1: work. We discussed it. Mm -hmm. I learned so much. I remember um, there was a big argument in writers' group about how to write stage directions. And, Mm -hmm. of course, for the first year, I I couldn't even talk Mm because I was so intimidated. But they were like, all the guys were arguing. They'd all gone to NYU together, and they were talking about stage directions. And this big argument was... um, Don't write a lot of stage directions because actors just cross them out. And Kenny said, he was like telling me, no, get your vision on the page. A director can always change it. An actor can always question it. But put it all down. And if you read his plays, they are – so descriptive. Right. And you are you have no question as to the point of view of how a scene should be played or, you know.
0: See, but I you know what I love doing is when I see a feature or a TV show is going to the script and seeing what's in writing versus what came out of the director. Mm-hmm. So I agree with him. I like that put it all down there and then. It's your vision. Yeah, exactly. So
1: I've had some great influences and I would say that um, it wasn't those influences came from from opportunities that didn't um pay me any money they right. were all things that i did you know for the love for of free the craft. Yeah. labor to love yeah but just developing my voice working on my craft working. working writing
0: yes those are great pieces of advice so to go over them you say line yourself up if you're a playwright with, with the right theater groups um a writer's group in television, I'm sure, features and plays. The writer's group apply to all of them, and I love your idea of just let it all come out and then go back. There's and some edit yeah. And there's um,
1: there's a book called Writing with Power by Peter Elbow.
0: Oh, I haven't read that one. There's all these. Oh, there are
1: wonderful exercises right. in the book. And I used to do those. That was a book that Will Sheffer told me to read, right. Bird by Bird by Annie Lamar. I love Bird
0: by Bird. Those types of love things. Love Bird by
1: Bird. Just, you know, exercises that you could do on your own right. to-, to write it. What was the your, other one? Writing? Writing down- no, writing, writing with power? Writing with power and writing without teachers are okay. two books that I think he's written. Okay. Um, but yeah, those things are- What was are, the name of that author again? Peter Elbow, okay. I think. Okay. I hope. I'm going to look that up. <laughs> I'm going to look that up. It's
0: been a while. All right, well- Thank you so much. I mean, when I think back to first meeting you and looking at your journey and your growth, I am so, so proud of you. And, and I have to say it doesn't surprise me in the least. I mean, your voice, I think, was prominent from the very beginning. So congratulations to you. And thank you for joining us and giving such incredible information. Thank you. You're welcome. And we are out with Liz Benjamin, the supervising producer on United States of Terra. And this is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. and StoryWise Podcast. Thank you for joining us.
1: You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions.